How do we optimise our state of mind so that we can bring our best to the long run in sport and in life? I'm Eloise Wellings, two-time Olympic athlete, and together with my mental skills coach, Rory Darkins, we are here to help you unlock your marathon state of mind. Hello and welcome to this episode of Marathon State of Mind. Hey. Looking forward to this one, Eloise, because it's Q&A and we love a Q&A. We do. Um, we've had some brilliant questions come in on our social channels. So thank you to everyone who shared a question or two. Um, you know, it's been great to hear from you and really fascinated by um, by some of these questions. You know, yeah. There's some really challenging ones. There is. There's some, um, there's some lighter ones and then there's some deeper ones. So yeah, um, it'll be fun. Awesome. And question for you, Eloise, before we get to our official questions. How are you going? You training at the moment? Yeah, I am always training. You know that, Rory. Um, <laughs> always, always training. Um, training's been going really well. Probably had one of my biggest weeks ever last week, I think. It's about 162 kilometers, um, which was good. Mm. And yeah, just chipping away. Got marathon, Gold Coast Marathon in five weeks' time, four and a half weeks' time now. And yeah, feeling strong and uh, excited about any possibility. Mm, yeah. Cool. How's your training going? It's going well, thank you. Uh, we obviously do all of our training together, so <laughs> it's a bit weird you asked me that. But um, <laughs> You asked me first, you know exactly how that's going. <laughs> I just like making oh, you feel awkward at yeah. the start of a conversation. Um, it's going well, I've been really enjoying it. Oh, um, really? That's yeah, interesting. I did a little bit less than you last week because I skipped a run, but... Um, oh other than gosh. that, gosh, losing uh, fitness, <laughs> detraining, <laughs> detraining. Other than that, it's been really good. Yeah. I've been loving it, and um, great time of year to run too yeah. in Sydney, right? The, the kind of autumn winter time, mm. it's a bit cooler. Yeah, so nice. It's actually my favourite time of year to run. It's a little bit, a um, little bit cooler, and you feel alive mm. when you get out the door. You don't really want to go. Yeah, every those time. crisp mornings. Yeah, Sunday morning was quite fresh. Yeah. I was shivering the first ten ish minutes. You ran your whole <laughs> the whole long run, two and a half hours, um, thirty seven ish kilometers in a hoodie. Yeah. Which I'd never experienced or seen before. So congratulations on that. That should actually be as a prize on Strava, mm. you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, if you... only I was on Strava. <laughs> that would be the day. That's right. Um yeah, and then I wouldn't have to ask you how's training going because everybody would know. Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's why I'm not on the show. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was it was really good. I was very surprised to keep the hoodie on. because You didn't actually wear the hood, so that would have been another yeah, level. That would have been, that would have been um, boxer yeah, style, trying to make weight. Fight. Yeah, yeah, that's um, not me. But, yeah, the hoodie the whole time was – it was brave. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. It wasn't my intention. It's just what happened. It was very cold. It was and fresh. It did not warm up. No, like, it did not. Just I kept thinking I'll reassess in a little bit and take it off wherever I want. But yep. that moment didn't come. That's right. So, first question. Well, second question for you. <laughs> When's your next marathon? Um, well, I'm going to be joining you in your next marathon. Um, really? So thanks for signing me up. <laughs> 
It'll be my second marathon. You just got an email into your inbox to say... <laughs> say I'm registered. Yeah, registered yeah. for the Gold Coast yeah. Marathon. Classic. Surprise. Classic Eloise. <laughs> it's like, hey, you're doing a marathon in a couple of weeks. I'm like, thanks. It's um, actually not just... <laughs> it's actually not how it works. It was your... your um. How do you say <laughs> your suggestion to run Gold Coast Marathon? Um, so don't blame me. Yeah. All right. There is some truth to that. But moving right along, <laughs> we've had these brilliant questions. Yep. And so let's let's get started. Yeah, let's get started. Maddie asks, how do you stay positive during a stress fracture recovery? That's definitely for you because you've been through this. I've had 13. 13. How many have you had? I haven't had one, fortunately. No. <laughs> um, so Lucky you kick you. off. Tell me about your experience of getting those mm. and what you've learned along the way. Um, you know, maybe how you went about it when you first had your first couple yep. versus how you've gone about it in your last couple to contrast mm. the different approaches showing what you've learned along the way yep my first couple were when I was a teenager so I was really young um 16 years old was when I had my first one uh I didn't really know anything about I it was my first proper injury um the first injury that had yeah stopped me from running and I wasn't that positive to be honest I wasn't positive at all um and yeah it was a really difficult time and I guess um you know I had I had a stress fracture a year for 11 years Mm. and yeah each one I guess I learned a little bit more and a little bit I learned how to deal with it a little bit better and I learned that I had more grace with the fact that as I went with the fact that I was I didn't have to be positive all the time. Like there's, there, it's okay with being, with feeling discouraged, and it's okay with feel, um, it's okay to feel disappointed at, you know, or angry at what you know what might be lost, and you know the the work and the effort that you've put in f- for a particular race or, um, something like that. It's okay to go through all those feelings initially. I I think it's really healthy. A healthy thing to do um i think it's unnatural to to be positive a hundred percent of the time and um but it doesn't mean being disappointed and discouraged doesn't mean that just around the corner you can decide and choose to keep moving forward in a really positive way and keep um choosing making good decisions about your body and for me through my first couple of stress fractures that was about okay what do I need to do to help heal and you know that was to nourish my body more to eat the right things to eat more food um, and to rest and that was I saw that as moving me forward Mm -hmm. and I saw that as a really positive thing and I think focusing on the things that I can do rather than, rather than on the things that I can't um, was really important for me too. And yeah, I think my last, I think back to my last um, stress fracture, was, which was actually just after I had Sunny. I hadn't had one for 
six years and then I had one after I had Sunny. I was I'd been breastfeeding and you know, I was I was like trying to make it to the Tokyo Olympics. So I was like pushing the you know pushing the limits and um, and yeah got another stress fracture in my foot and I again I was you know went through all of those feelings initially of this is annoying and frustrating and you know I'm not going to be able to run for a certain amount of time. Um, but, you know, I gave myself that time to feel like that and then made it, started, you know, planning forward of like, okay, how am I going to use this next six or eight weeks, um, really productively in becoming a stronger athlete mentally and physically. And one of those things was, um, I decided I was going to go and pull run every day in our local um ocean pool which and it was the middle of winter and that was just something that I decided to do that like because I enjoyed I actually really started enjoying it by you know after at least a week um but I felt like that that was a choice that I made to take positive steps forward and um, I felt like I was doing something really positive for myself still every day and still moving forward and giving my foot the chance and the time to heal and but also still challenging myself mentally and physically mm. by doing pool running sessions in basically an ice bath. Yeah, yeah <laughs> nice. I love what you say about focusing on what you can do. Mm. Like obviously there's that kind of grief process originally, which is, you know, just opening up to feeling the feelings, the disappointment, this, you know, the sadness, the, the anger, the, the kind of, you can bargain being like, Oh, if only this or that, you know, like there's that sense of trying to make, you're trying to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. But once you come to an acceptance of the, the facts of that moment, that acceptance can be really valuable because once you fully accept, you know, the current reality, you can then take the next step of, looking forward and cultivating hope for like the good things that can be around the corner. And I think that's something that we can be really intentional about if we experience an injury is, is intentionally putting our mind in the place of going, what good can come from this? Mm. What can I learn? What, you know, how can this help me in the long run? Um, or what, you know, how can I grow through this in mm-hmm. some unexpected ways? Or what are the, what are the opportunities that, you know, I can look for here to, you know, to prioritize something that, you know, maybe you weren't prioritizing, um, and really embrace that. And, you know, ultimately it's so much about having a, a hopeful vision, mm-hmm. like, you know, for the future. And sometimes you just got to zoom out a little bit and go, yeah, the next few weeks, few months might not be, you know, what I would hope for. Yeah. But there's a bigger picture mm-hmm. and that, you know, like six months down the track, you know, or, you know, looking further ahead, really good things can be possible and, and putting your mind there so that you can, you can see those new possibilities, particularly if um, the injury has disrupted the previous plan or yeah. the previous vision Mm -hmm. then it's like okay you actually got to reset and and kind of build a new vision Mm. of what a good future that you're excited to work towards looks like yep um 
and I think doing that, you know, when we find ourselves in those situations is a really fruitful thing to do. Yeah. Um, I think to the, I've gotten better as I've gotten older, um, at just asking the question, what can I learn from this? Like, what, how can I come out of this a stronger and better athlete than I was before? And I think when you that becomes the focus, you you don't necessarily have to be running every day to do that. You know, what other little one percenters was I neglecting? So I was just focused on training or, um, yeah, like what was I neglecting? Um, that now I can actually put some real intention and focus on Mm. and it can be with anything it's not even necessarily when you get an injury it's you know you might have been building up to a big race that didn't go as as you planned and you know the next one's not until you know this amount of time and it's you know with the marathon that can be a thing and that's been a thing for you know for me for my last two marathons haven't necessarily gone to plan but there's patience in it and there's belief and there's just process. There's mm. just following a process of, um, yeah, getting the work done and um, and believing and, and hoping for, for better days ahead. Mm. Yeah, 100%. And like you like you did, you know, that time when you, you really embraced the pool running, mm. it wasn't like I'm going to punish myself by no. going in the cold <laughs> and, like, I'm going to feel really, like, committed as an athlete because of that. You actually enjoyed it you like it it made you feel so alive i remember um you know seeing you in those sessions and you know you just really enjoyed that yeah and it was so different it was novel and you were like really relished it and i think you know there's so much value and even you know the things that you might feel like i have to do this in order to you know um in order to improve and you might not love those things i think the more you can find ways to embrace them and to enjoy them and Mm. to like make them make them something that you can look forward to and be satisfied from um that can make your experience of navigating you know that path um a whole lot better yeah that's right yeah and i mean i'm doing that whole thing was such a wonderful experience i like made friends down there Mm. and it wasn't that i mean i thought oh i'm so this is like so um, such a flex I'm flexing to myself right now by going into this water I met I met women down there who were more advanced in life more advanced in age than me and they'd been doing that they'd been swimming in that pool in the dead of winter for like the last 15 years mm. so it yeah. was nothing yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to do that for six weeks yeah and it was fun it was it felt like I had a little community down mm. there with the people that just generally go down there for a swim to dr shelley yeah dr. every dr shelley, dr. shelley the pool, name of the pool um every day to um yeah to get some exercise and and be out in the sun and uh it was nice to be able to meet some people around the neighborhood that i'd usually run past on mm. the esplanade and not you know not see or not notice so yeah. it, was, it was nice to have those conversations too and build those relationships Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Maddie. Great question. Brooke asks, how do you mentally approach a race if the preparation has been disrupted? Mm, It's a good one. Have you experienced disrupted preparation for a race before? Many times. Tell us about about some of the most Mm. um, top of mind experiences where you feel like, oh, that wasn't purpose, but I, that wasn't, sorry, 
that wasn't perfect. Yeah. The preparation wasn't per- perfect, but you've found a way to, to process that and to, to bring your best as best you could despite it. Yeah. A few come to mind straight away. Um, before the 2006 Commonwealth Games, my first Commonwealth Games in Melbourne, I had a stress fracture in my sacrum pretty much for the last four months of 2005. And um, we needed to qualify for the Commonwealth Games, which were in March in 2006. So I had limited time to prepare, but I just spent that, that time that I had to have off for my stress fracture in my sacrum um, believing that it was it was going to be good. I was just mm. going to follow a process of, you know, staying fit and cross-training through um, and doing, you know, focused on, again, focused on what I could do mm. and being excited about the potential of, you know, wearing the Australian colours again and racing for Australia at my first Commonwealth Games and then lining up doing the trials and it, it actually working out and then getting better and better each race and almost not racing myself into fitness but racing myself into real true championship confidence mm. um but yeah that was that was one time and then more recently you know going into the Nagoya marathon this year uh which didn't go as well as you know my first one last year I had low iron and, you know, I'd been sick a couple of times um, and it just was, it was probably my worst preparation to date, to be honest. Um, but I still feel like I, I put in a good performance despite, mm. you know, not, not having the best preparation. And again, I just did what I could, focused on what I could do, made sure that I guess it's, there's something that um, that I've learned over the years is that is super important when you have little hiccups along the way is that you don't need to be a slave to the program. Like, and, you know, my coach, Nick Bideau, he, we've always trained by correspondence, like he's coached me by correspondence my, almost my entire career, the last 20 plus years. Um, and he knows that, and, you know, I have the freedom that if I wake up on any given day um, not feeling like a workout or not feeling like what he's put down on paper to do, there's no question that I have the freedom to make those decisions. And I think that as athletes and, um, you know, we need to be really aware that you have the freedom to um, make good decisions about your body and about training and, um yeah i think it's just really important to to not be a slave to to what you know what's written down Mm. on paper and just being a bit flexible and just going it's your legs don't know what day it is Mm. you know what i mean so if you have if you miss a long run on a sunday you can make it up on wednesday Mm. you know or make it up on tuesday or make it up at some other time in the next whenever in the future when it is the right time mm. and when you're actually going to benefit from that long run, when are you going to absorb it and when it's going to take you forward. And I think that should be the question for all of us is um, being intentional about every single run, every single workout, gym session, whatever we are doing um, in terms of training, 
is this going to take me forward? Mm. That should be the question every single time. Yeah. And if it's a no, then mm. it's why are you doing it? Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. And sometimes, you know, sometimes what you can gain from being okay with things not perfectly going to plan mm-hmm. can actually help you in the race yeah. or in the event because you know there's research that shows that your sense of what's called self-efficacy which is like your belief in your ability to mm. do something is a better predictor of marathon performance than your vo2 max so even if the preparation's disrupted you can be intentional about how you were going to think, how you're going to be mm. in the event. You mm-hmm. can you can kind of mentally prepare for mm. how you want to respond when it gets hard, and and you can visualize what you know what a good day might look like for mm. you, and and come back to the things that you can control that will give that the best chance of happening. And I think re like. Putting our effort there, if for whatever reason we weren't able to put our effort, you know, where we were planned to physically, like say, you, you know, you had to miss some sessions for whatever reason, there's still a lot to be gained from preparing your mind to mm. go and bring your best. And um, sometimes we can overlook that when training's gone perfectly to yeah. plan. You know, we just tick the box of done the sessions and, and now I'm ready. Um, so, you know, I don't... I remember actually on a previous podcast, we, um, we interviewed Jess Fox mm-hmm. and, you know, that's probably one, um, that's worth revisiting because she talked about preparing for the Olympics, um, just a couple of years ago where she was, you know, and her sports were like kayaking and canoeing and they weren't able to access the water. Mm-hmm. They weren't able to train. There was lockdown and there was this like algae or something like that that closed the waterways where mm-hmm. they train. So they physically couldn't go and practice their sport leading into the Olympics. And she went through this process of like accepting that and going, okay, well, what can I do? Mm. And sort of let go of the need for the preparation to be perfect. And then she went and totally nailed it, (laughs) you know, like, but I just think that it's so empowering actually, if you can go, you know, I'm not a slave to the, Mm. to the, the process of, of, you know, the preparation needing to be perfect. I can adapt. I can count on myself to bring my best, even when things, you know, don't go to plan. And that's what self-efficacy sounds like. Mm. It's like, I've got what it takes to adjust. Yeah. I can do this. Um, and so, you know, I, I think there's so much value there. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes in running in particular, we can, you know, feel like missing one, even one small thing is sort of like throws the rest out. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like, um, but really I think when you, you kind of keep it in perspective that it doesn't actually need to be perfect in order for you to have a good experience Mm. and to give your best effort on the day and you know so much of it comes back to like well resetting your focus of what you're trying to do on the day you know Mm. is it is the whole thing a waste of time if it's not a perfect preparation Mm. or is there something more purposeful about the event and the experience that you're looking to have Mm. that means that you know you can allow the preparation to be what it what it is 
and you know still gain a lot from from how you go about it yeah ian asks willingness to learn through enduring struggle versus practicing self-kindness where do they intersect this is deep this is this is a cool question right in rory um you've thrown at me there (laughs) 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 sounds like a rory question great um i think it's an awesome question because we can have this idea that pushing hard and doing hard things is a path to grow through and we can have this idea that you know self-compassion is the opposite of that somehow like you know that that being kind to oneself or um, exercising self-compassion is somehow like weak or soft as opposed to, you know, the other approach of, of challenging your limits. And mm. I love that the question mentions where do they intersect because I think they absolutely can be two sides of the same coin, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I think it begins with thinking about why are you doing the hard thing, mm. you know. So when we sign ourselves up to to do hard things then there's a reason or many reasons why we're doing that sometimes the reason why we choose to do that is built on punishing yourself Mm. or like you know almost like there is there is that that sense of yeah it's the opposite of self-compassion it's like i've got to punish myself or i've got to really push and and you know i've got to prove something to myself Mm. and like there's you know it's not saying that that's totally the wrong way to go but i think there's healthier motivations for doing hard things Mm -hmm. and if your motivation for doing a hard thing is about something bigger than you like purpose that is you know like i'm there's this value in what i'm doing that is that is important to me but it's also transcends me it's like bigger than me it's like maybe you're you know you're setting an example mm-hmm. to someone you care about or maybe you're you know raising money for a cause that's really close to your heart or you know something that just feels like this physical challenge means something personally to me that is that adds to my sense of meaning in life and also makes a different a positive difference to you know the people or world around me then if that's what's driving you, then I think self-compassion and um, enduring struggle struggle can be like go hand in hand. Mm. And so I think once you understand why you're doing it, you know, and kind of, I guess, checking in with your reasons for doing it, that's like one point of where they intersect. And another point then where they intersect is how are you going to be with yourself whilst you're doing the hard thing yeah when you're when you're hurting what voice are you going to be listening to yeah are you going to be like (laughs) beating yourself up trying to push trying to motivate yourself through the struggle Mm. or are you going to be speaking life to yourself you know and and speaking encouragement to yourself and actually you know sounding like you've got this you know, like speaking to yourself the way you'd, you'd speak to someone you care about. If you can do the second part, one, it's a high performance strategy. Yeah. And two, it's self-compassion. Yeah. And so I think when we're clear on our purpose of why we're doing the hard thing, what we're trying to 
learn or what we're trying to you know um, contribute by doing it and then we're like i'm gonna lean into the struggle i'm gonna embrace the difficulty but i'm gonna like be on my own team yeah (laughs) whilst i do that yeah to me that's the intersection and some really great things can happen when we go there because struggle presents us with a choice Uh, you know presents one part of us is sort of wanting to pull back and the other part is like wanting to to push through and it's how we choose to respond and you know who we listen to Mm. in choosing to respond that i think makes the difference and changes the nature of the experience because you know if you're speaking to yourself in a um, uplifting way through difficulty then what you gain from that is the knowledge that you can count on yourself Mm. to have your own back and to get yourself through challenging situations in a self-compassionate way yeah and there's nothing there's nothing soft about that yeah i agree i i don't think you need to separate those things like doing the hard thing can be um you know can be done with self-compassion and 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 kindness and it's really like you said it's all it's all about how you're speaking to yourself and what voice you're choosing to listen to and you can practice that you know i practice it so much in training and in fact you know just as you were speaking then i was remembering some of the best training sessions i've had in the last month some of the races the best races i've had in my career have been when i have chosen to show up like that when Mm. i've chosen to lean into the struggle but at the same time um show self-compassion and kindness and cheer myself on and not um you know i guess try and beat my body into submission you're (laughs) not just trying to goggins it no (laughs) no we we don't goggins it and you know for those who are not aware of what we're referring to there um (laughs) really like fascinating you know guy david goggins uh ex-military um from the u.s and you know he's known for doing these like extraordinary physical things of feats of endurance he's got a phenomenal story but um i think sometimes his approach of of mental toughness of pushing through is um misinterpreted or maybe it's interpreted the way he intends only he could tell us that but it is interpreted as just run through the brick wall, just mm. deny what your body's saying. Just mm. it's sort of the opposite of self-compassion. Um, and so, you know, there's there's a real danger in in speaking to ourselves that way and acting on on that voice because you know then we we struggle and we are not a bit like we're not kind to ourselves in the struggle Mm. and you know it's just such a myth that we need to be hard on ourselves to push through difficult things um so yeah and you can train you can train this you can train the the self-compassion piece and um and notice when you are being challenged physically um out there training or in a race practice notice how you're speaking to self to yourself and you know maybe start to change the narrative slightly 
or a lot if you need to. Mm. Um, but just notice what you say to yourself when it starts to get really hard. Is it, is it something that's going to propel you forward or is it something that's going to, you know, are you saying things that are going to weigh you down? Mm. It's probably useful just to round out that um, discussion to sort of define self-compassion a little bit. Like it has three components. There's mindfulness, there's um, a kindness towards yourself and then there's also a, a sense of common humanity mm. and so you know if we look back at what we talked about with that it's like the mindfulness is just being in tune with what's happening in the present moment you know and doing that without judgment mm. so it's being like okay here i am in the struggle and just without resisting it without judging it you're just accepting and, and kind of like looking at the facts of here i am in this moment from that place, we're able to choose a response. So once we have that, you know, connection to the present moment, then we're able to choose a response. And and that's what we've been talking about, about, well, we can respond in a way where we've got high regard for ourselves, and mm. where we're kind of going to move towards who we want to be, or we can respond in a way where we have low regard for ourselves, where we, we sort of punish ourselves. And so, you know, I would strongly advocate for um, the former of those approaches where we actually, you know, speak to ourselves the way that we would speak to someone we really care about, which is more like, you've got this, you can do this, come on. And we heard about it, didn't we, last last podcast we did when we spoke to Australian marathon men's record holder, Brett Robinson. Mm. You know, he's been struggling with this stitch, this like horrible horrible pain in his tummy that has come on you know in his last couple of marathons over the last few years and he said to us he's he's he just changed he's changed his mindset he's expecting it to come now and he's adapted the way that he's got some tools some practical tools that he that he does in terms of his breathing and his posture when he's running when it comes on but at the end of the day he's accepted that this might come and I'm ready and I'm going to deal with it. I have the strength and the ability to deal with this when mm. it comes. And his mindset shift has been incredible. And in my opinion, has allowed him the freedom to go and break the Australian mm. record. Yeah. And which is just incredible. Yeah. And that is a living, living example of what can happen when you have that mindset set shift and you accept, okay, this is going to get hard how I speak to myself right now and what I choose to say and what I choose to listen to is going to be so important for, you know, how, not only how I perform in this race, but my experience of this event as well, Mm. my experience in this moment. Um, But yeah, of course, the the outcome and the result. Mm, Totally. Yeah. It's a a great example. Um, And the, the common humanity piece is sort of what we're getting at with the purpose. You know, it's like, why are you doing what, why is it a struggle worth embracing? Mm. And if there's something meaningful and good that is um, available through it, something that is really important to you that, you know, you feel like matters and makes a difference, then that's coming from this common humanity. And, it, and it's seeing that you, you know, that by being human, we do, we do experience struggle. 
and like it's a common human thing you know anyone in that situation would be would be um you know feeling similar thing to you yeah and so how would you like to respond Mm. in a way that um, moves you towards who you want to be yeah matt asks why does Rory do nose breathing when pushing three-minute K pace intervals? Is he human? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he is not. You actually want me to? <laughs> you're looking at me like I am. It's your turn I mean, to answer this question. We've just been talking about to be your training partner is like quite relaxing because. I, well, I mean, it's quite, it's also embarrassing because I'm like breathing the house down <laughs> like the big bad wolf and you're just like quietly running along, um, at full pace with just breathing calmly out of your nose. How do you do it? Um, <laughs> I was just, was just thinking about the question. It's, um, it's definitely, yes, I definitely am human um i actually didn't always do this i um before i learned about breathing before i started doing a phd in it and um before i you know even tried it out i remember um doing a couple of running races where i absolutely hated the experience Mm. of just wheezing mm. like 3k to go in a you know 10 or 11k race Sutherland to surf, Sutherland to surf. surf yeah. 2018 yeah I, I was like mouth wide open like wheezing my <laughs> have, way down we have photos There's every photos. now and then we send him one yeah and like that was it's you know it's so close to the feeling of like a panic attack you know when you're like breathing as hard as you can mm. and you're so hard that you know i think what i was getting was was something called exercise induced bronchial constriction where you know your airways actually start constricting or closing up and that's where the noise of the wheeze comes from where it becomes progressively harder to kind of catch your breath and that feeling's not nice so i did not enjoy running when it was like that and so that's context for the fact that i'm definitely human um, but it's a skill that I then learnt and, and then went about training over a number of years to, um, you know, to gradually build from being able to, I think the first time I tried to nose breathe and running, um, I did about a hundred meters jogging and mm-hmm. then sort of took a mouth breath and, and then tried again. And, you know, over the course of, um, several weeks and months, you know, progressed to being able to do easy runs nose only and then um you know i think Eloise, you were um pregnant with sunny at the time and so our training was a little bit slower than it had been and so i was able to um to gradually extend the pace that i was able to nose breathe in in training um and then just was always challenging myself to just take it a little bit further and a little bit further and so it kind of got to a point where you know the pace doesn't matter so much it's something that um feels better to me mm-hmm. typically than their mouth breathing and there's there's still a place for mouth breathing you know like um certain times but um you know to be perfectly honest i find it easier to run breathing through my nose most of the time than what i would feel if i did the same thing breathing through my mouth so yeah um 
but it, it wasn't something that just happened overnight. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed when you started to nose breathe uh, when I was pregnant with Sunny, because I was pretty much just the only one talking. <laughs> <laughs> Which is perfect, right? I was just talking to myself. Yeah. Loved it. No, it was great. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I have tried it, obviously. And yeah, I'm a big advocate too. I can't, I'm not as skilled as you hoping to be one day. Um, but definitely it is a skill that you should just give a go and yeah. practice. And um, it's, um, it's, you know, a couple of things that helped me to do it were firstly realizing that the urge to breathe is not a signal that you are running out of oxygen. Mm. You know, once I kind of got my head around that, I'm like, oh, this feeling of like needing to breathe more isn't actually an emergency. Like typically when I'm, when I'm out, out running, um, it's actually that I'm, my brain is, is detecting the buildup of carbon dioxide and it's sensitive to that. And that's something you can, bec- you can become more tolerant to that feeling and your urge to breathe can kind of dial down a little bit so that it enables you to breathe slightly, um, you breathe slightly less, so breathe more slowly for a given level of work. And then the upside of that is that the thing that correlates most with your perceived effort level or your perceived exertion when you're doing physical activity is your breathing rate. So if you're breathing fast, it's going to feel harder. And if you're breathing slower, it's going to feel easier typically. So far more correlated than things like heart rate are. And so I kind of realized that, well, if nose breathing helps me to breathe more slowly and more efficiently, and I can become more accepting of, of that, that sense, that urge to breathe, and I can build tolerance to it by, by kind of making friends with it a little bit. Um, then I can breathe more efficiently, I can breathe more slowly, and by breathing more slowly, the same workout will actually not feel as hard. Yeah. And that's definitely been my experience, which is quite a contrast from me wheezing my way through the last 4K of the Sutherland to surf. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Famous photo of me beating you in that race. Yeah. Yep. yep. Never forget. We'll um, post that one. Good yep. names. <laughs> I mean, you will. <laughs> um. And you're going to be a doctor in breathing, Rory, next March. Dr. Rory. Yes. You'll be finishing your PhD, yeah. which is exciting. My PhD is all about how do we optimize our breathing. So I kind of feel like in the line of work that we do and, and in any line of work, you know, if you're going to talk about something, you benefit from living it as well. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, you can think of my training as a living experiment. Great. Um, we've got another question here, Eloise, which is best tips for staying injury free. Ooh. Okay. What have you come to learn about, you know, preventing injury? Obviously injury is part of, you know, the sport, you know, most sports is something that is almost inevitable at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, but with that said, we all would benefit from reducing that and, and making, you know, putting the odds in our favor, I guess. So what helps you to, to largely stay injury-free? I think getting to know 
your body is probably the mm. most beneficial thing getting to know what makes you sore mm. and i think i've because i've been running for so long i just know what i know what running on a certain surface is going to make you know if i went for a run any amount of time on the sand my both of my plantar fascias would be really sore even mm. my tib post which is the you know the tendon that runs up your shin um but I think those those things, getting to know your body, becoming aware of of what makes your body sore, and it can be it's going to be different for everybody. I think wearing cushion shoes, really good cushion shoes. Obviously, I'm with Adidas. Um, wear the Solar Glides uh, for anyone that's interested in in the shoes um, that I get around in. But most of my miles are done in in the Solar Glides, and then my faster work marathon. Uh, work is done in the Adios, Adi Zero Pro 3s. And look, I get a massage a week. Um, and You're doing gym? I see, yeah, I do gym um, twice a week. That's huge, actually. Gym is probably one of the biggest injury prevention um modalities or things that I do for injury prevention with Jock Campbell, my gym coach. Um, Just on that, I think doing gym well. Yes. Is, yeah. You know, like, and yeah, and you can do gym and then you can do gym well. Yeah. Like knowing you're having, you know, a, a good assessment of your own body and yeah. how to have great movement patterns yeah. through the different exercises. That's a good point because there's a few things that like I will never do in the gym mm. again. I will never do a deadlift yeah. for as long as I live. I will never do another deadlift. And that's I you. just my back three days after doing a deadlift, I will be on the floor mm. and not moving. And can I just um, say for other people, yes, doing deadlifts, is what prevents them yes. from having that experience. Yeah. So it's so, so you gotta, individual. Yeah, so individual. You got to work out what's good for you, which is why it's so important to see a strength coach like like Joel Campbell. Um, he's been great in in working out exactly what I need and what many other um, high performing athletes need in our area. Um, eating well, mm. fueling it's well, huge. yep, huge sleeping. Um, there's st- there's a study on that that um athletes who get plus or minus around about eight hours of sleep a night regularly or more have significantly less injury risk than those that that Mm. say get under six you know i'm not 100 percent sure of those numbers but Mm. the point being adequate quality sleep yeah consistently is a factor in injury risk prevention which is i think why I mean, it's so, and I'm just, I'm speaking to a certain group of people here only because of my experience, but why I think it's so much easier to get injured when you're coming back from having a baby. Mm. It's, you're just at risk in general because Mm. you're getting up to feed your baby every couple of hours or settle your baby every couple of hours and it's broken sleep and it's a cumulative effect. Mm. It's not. For me, it wasn't just about getting one night of eight hours sleep. I had to, it was, you need to get that consistently. Um, It's not, it's not enough to top you up. Mm. And yeah, so, and because obviously (laughs) the priority is looking after your baby. So if you're not getting that, 
then it's worth looking at the training that you're doing and, um, and, you know, maybe pulling back a little bit on the, either the intensity or the volume just during that time until things have settled down and you are able to get more Mm. sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. There's some, some great points there. And I, you know, to echo what you said, like being in tune with Mm. yourself as a unique individual is, you know, the foundation Mm -hmm. of making those good decisions. So, you know, and something you said a lot earlier in the conversation, you know, is just learning through your experiences. You know, if you do have an injury, having that mindset of like, okay, what can I learn from this that's helpful? What can Mm. I adjust? What can I do more of? What can I do less of? What can I tweak how I do? You know, um, know, that mindset of of continually learning about yourself and what works for you is key Mm -hmm. because, you know, I, I think we live in a world where, um, there's a lot of noise about what we should all do, <laughs> you yeah. know, like you've got to do this protocol or that protocol mm. or, um, and you know, what's right for you is not necessarily what's right for me. Yeah. And the only way we can discern that is by taking responsibility for understanding ourselves mm. and what works for us, um, and having that learner mindset. So I think that is really the foundation of, Stay injury free. Um, yeah. Yeah. And segue back to our conversation about self compassion. Mm. And, you know, it's um, also the ability to be in tune with yourself and to ask that question of, like, what's, what's right for me right now? Mm-hmm. And to trust your trust your body, to trust, you know, your, your judgment on those things. Because sometimes you might just know that it's a day to pull back. Yeah. And if you listen, then that can lead you down a better path mm. than if you just push through at all costs, you know. There's one thing that I do um, practically to avoid injury, especially if I've had a long time off. So this might be helpful for anyone that's just starting out running or you've had time off from injury or work or a baby or whatever it is. Um, I never add more than 10% to my volume each week um, as I'm coming back. And I don't add volume and intensity at the same time. So for instance, I don't add the 10% of volume to my week um, moving forward if I'm adding a workout, if I'm adding an intervals workout or if I'm adding a threshold run. I just keep it, maintain that level of kilometers or miles um, and that seems to help mm, in terms totally. of, yeah, just allowing your body to adapt, um, to the different stresses that you're putting on it as you're either starting out running or returning to running. Mm. You said the word stress too, mm-hmm. which is worth touching on mm. that all, you know, the way we improve through physical fitness is by adding stress, Yeah, but it's still stress mm. and, you know, stress a stress that comes from different aspects of our of our life is all still stress Mm. and so i think it's having a handle on you know your total load of stress it might not just be you know how many you know what your your running volume is that week it's also factoring in like any emotional stress or any you know if you've not been fueling well enough there's the nutritional stress side there's you know um if you're you know like hormonally you know different you know for um 
many female athletes obviously you know throughout one month like there's uh, you know various stages of a cycle which has a different um you know leads to a different experience of you know or capacity for stress mm. and it all is affecting the same system which yeah. is you mm-hmm. <laughs> and so i think realizing that um we're a whole person yeah not just an athlete and that um you know taking that all into consideration when you're deciding what's right for you on a given day is is really important so that maybe you maybe it is a case of you know of prioritizing recovery you know over intensity on a certain day when you feel like actually it's not that you've been training harder it's that there's a higher level of life stress that's playing into it how you're feeling that day and, and trusting that um you know you're doing the right thing by actually pulling back sometimes to you know recognize that so i think all of that you know adds up when it comes to um reducing the risk of injury um but as we've said it, it comes back to you understanding yourself yeah it's good we have another question from shannon how not to feel selfish for putting lots of time effort and money into my sporting goals mm, that's a um cool question because i think it's it's quite human um to have that type of thought and i think the first thing to do would be to um reflect on where that comes from for you you know often we grow up and we almost like inherit a certain set of values you know and we didn't necessarily choose those values for ourselves. and so you know if you are feeling um a sense of you know like um guilt about what you're doing just step back and go oh i wonder like wonder where this is coming from whose voice is this is this actually is this actually me and my voice or is this something that I've kind of picked up along the way from, you know, um, someone in my life growing up? Um, and so just sort of without judgment, just thinking about wh- what voice is that? Where's it coming from is a good start because those decisions really do come back to values. And once we're kind of independent in the world, like, you know, as, as adults, it's up to us to own our own values you know and to put the the time and the work into defining what matters most to you what you want to build your life around what values are really most central to you because the best the best goals and the best decisions will be for you will be the ones that are directly in alignment with what you personally value most Mm. and so if spending time money and you know effort on your sport lines up with what matters most to you then psychologically you're doing the right thing in the sense that you're living authentically Mm. you are building your life around what matters to you what you know your values and you're moving towards what feels purposeful to you which are all like core ingredients of of well-being and self-actualization so only you can um choose what those values are for Mm. you and what matters most to you so 
I think, and for any one of us, the answer might be completely different. You know, um, you, maybe people listening to this who spending time, money and effort on their sport may actually take them away from other values that are more important to them. Mm-hmm. And therefore that wouldn't be necessarily the right thing for them to do. So well-being ultimately is about integration and that begins with understanding what you're all about, what matters to you, and what you want to, you know, organize your life around. Mm. And, you know, that can change over time. But if your answer right now is that what matters most to you and, and you know, you, you value growth and you value, you know, the things that you get through your sport, then, you know, then you're on the right track if you're, if you're investing in those things. But if those are taking you away from, you know, from parts of yourself that you actually value more or things in life that you value more then you know, maybe it's worth reflecting on, on, you know, how to better allocate your resources towards those. So ultimately um, we can have competing goals a lot. <laughs> like sometimes, you know, we value a couple of different things mm. and those things can be in conflict, like spending time on this takes me away from um, spending time on, on this other thing that's important to me. And that's where, you know, ultimately to, to have the best well-being that you can have and to have conviction that you're doing the right thing, it's worth doubling down on, on really reflecting on like, why does this matter to me? Mm. What's important to it? What are the values that are underneath it? Who am I? What do I want to be about? Yeah. And then um, lining up your effort and your, you know, your allocation of resources accordingly um, mm. will give you you know, real confidence that you, you're doing the right thing, you're being yourself and you're on the right track. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think life just goes in seasons as well, mm. you know. Like there might be a season where um, you have to sacrifice some things in order to focus on others. And then when that season comes to an end, like you might build up towards a big race or and when that comes to an end there's time to focus on other things that you really value and, and put more intention and, um, yeah, put my time and, and resources into, into those. And as you say, it's, it's so much about, yeah, working out what you value and then in prioritizing from there. Mm, awesome. Well, we better wrap up there. I reckon. We will. We had so many other questions that we have not got to, but we're going to try and, um, answer those individually and also with some of the questions may even carry over to next next month's part two yeah i think so because there's some some goodies but thank you everyone for sharing your questions we're going to be doing these regularly so um at any point drop us a line on on our instagram um if you have questions or things that you want us to to talk more about and would love to hear from you um in the meantime i really hope that this was helpful. I feel like when someone asks a question, they're always speaking for a lot of people, Mm. you know, so um, your questions can go a long way. So thank you for sharing those. And, you know, um, for everyone listening, I hope you can, you can apply some of this in a way that, that helps you to thrive even more in life. So good. See you next time.